Welcome back to Young Smart Money, show number 25 with me, your host, Apple Kreider. This episode is a bit different. We have a coach, a public speaker, and coincidentally, my mom on the show to talk about her journey in becoming an entrepreneur and what that journey really looked like for her, how she got to where she's at now running her own business full-time with a couple employees to boot. So this episode's been a long time in the works. I've really been trying to line up a time where we could sit down and talk because she's been very busy lately. She's been on TV um, a couple times in the last month, so it's been really hectic. Her schedule's been crazy, but we finally got a chance to sit down, talk about her journey, and I love to share with you guys. So without further ado, let's get my mom on to the podcast. Oh, and real quick before we do, there are a couple Easter eggs in this conversation today. So definitely stay tuned for those and let me know if you pick them up. All right, mom, welcome to Young Smart Money. Um, first question I just want to ask you is like, what was it like to raise the most amazing child on planet earth? <laughs> Um, but completely kidding, don't want to boost my ego any more than it already is. Um, but I want, what I want to talk with you about today is really your entrepreneurial journey um, and really just what has gone into to the business that you've actually started. Because for those of our listeners that aren't familiar, I alluded to it a bit in the intro. Um, but what my mom actually does currently is, um, I'll give you a quick intro here, but then you can obviously fill in where I'm, where I'm leaving off. Um, but you are a, um, a public speaker and a coach that helps people get through difficult conversations. So could you talk a little bit about what you currently do and then we'll break down sort of how you got there? Sure, absolutely. So my business is called Working Conversations, and much like the name of the business sounds, I work with organizations to have better conversations within their, you know, within their companies. And those conversations could be one-on-one -on -one conversations, they could be larger conversations, team conversations, that sort of thing. So I kind of think of anything that's within communication and culture inside of an organization as my wheelhouse or my domain. And that includes leadership communication, includes difficult conversations, um, includes building the kind of culture that you want to have in your organization and, and things like that. Okay, solid. So what I kind of want to do now is just sort of like put out the roadmap to how you got there because honestly, even just for myself, because I'm not super familiar with what you were actually doing for an occupation from probably the age of like eight to like 14. I'm not totally sure exactly what you were doing. So I know when I was really young, you were teaching um, at a college. So you started off at college um, and you were teaching, what were you teaching there? So I was a professor at the University of Minnesota, and the classes that I taught were on leadership communication, organizational and management communication, team building, um, public speaking, public speaking for technical professionals, that sort of thing. So again, kind of the same wheelhouse that I'm working in now, but I was teaching college students. Okay, so very, very much on brand. Um, right, and so I, rem I, mean, I remember taking you along with me <laughs> on days when I would maybe have to go in and do grading, and if you didn't have daycare that day, or maybe it was a Saturday morning or something, you'd come and hang out at my office. I had a, I had a box of Legos under my desk yeah. for you. You'd build Lego stuff, and then I'd take you over to the student union, and we'd get some lunch and play some air hockey. I remember there were like these monkeys too. I have a very vivid memory of these like monkeys that like hung together, um, sort of like the yeah. monkeys in a barrel, but they were like different colors, I think. Right. In fact, I got those monkeys from one of my colleagues during a, uh, we had a secret Santa gift exchange and whoever drew my name, I still to this day don't know who drew my name, <laughs> but they gave me a box of monkeys and they wrote up this whole description that they typed, they typed up and they put on the back of the box, like instead of its regular instructions of how you're supposed to use the monkeys. It was all about how I need to get all these monkeys off my back because one of the, <laughs> in addition to the classes that I taught, we also taught classes, um, doing uh, to remote campuses. So to some of the other branch campuses of the University of Minnesota, 
And I was actually the director of that program. So in addition to my teaching appointment, which was like, a, I had like a three-quarter teaching appointment and then a one-quarter administrative appointment where I ran that program. And we had some senior faculty who uh, were really not that interested in learning new technology. Mm. And so for me to get them on board and, and like our students who were majoring in technical communication on these other campuses absolutely needed some classes that we taught uh, here in the Twin Cities campus. And so I had to enroll and enlist my elderly colleagues, <laughs> okay, so this is literally elderly colleagues, and I'm like 30 at the time, and I had to get these senior faculty who outranked me and, you know, were like twice my age, more than twice my age, um, to use distributed technology, you know, basically like what we're doing now, yeah. but back, you know, back in the day, it was, it was that much more uh, the bandwidth was slower and yep. the connections weren't as good and it wasn't fu as fun as it was now and I had to get these people on board to use this. So it did feel a lot of times like I had a lot of monkeys on my back. <laughs> and so that's where the box of monkeys came from and I still have them. Wow. Uh, they're, in my, <laughs> they're in my desk now in another part of the house. Wow, um, I don't know why that's a memory. And part of the reason that I, was that I had that administrative appointment to do those classes um, distributed was because I wrote my dissertation on virtual team communication. Mm. Do you want to talk a bit about your education? Actually, I think I forgot to put in that aspect, but like before this, um, where you actually went to school and what you majored in? Sure. So uh, I grew up in Minnesota mm. and I decided I want to go to one of the coasts to go to college because I wanted a different experience. So I ended up at Boston University where I studied communication. I was in their college of communication and um, I ended up with just kind of a generic degree in speech communication. For a while, I, I kind of tried out journalism, public relations, broadcasting, kind of all the different specializations within communication. But what I really loved doing the most was public speaking. Mm. And so then I ended up, and, and I thought as a, you know, as a college sophomore, maybe junior, I thought I want to be on the national speaking circuit. And I can remember my college professor to this day, my college advisor. In fact, uh, I, you've met her, Andrew, and we, I had coffee with her a couple of years ago when you and I were in Boston. And, really? uh, yeah. And remember you, oh, you were yeah. hanging out on Newberry street and yep, I, I had that. coffee with her. Yeah. Uh, anyway, she said to me when I was 19, she said, I have every confidence in the world that you can be a speaker on the national circuit. She said, but what's your message? Mm. And as a 19 year old, I kind of think I was pretty fortunate in that I didn't have a message at that point. I mean, I know that there are some people who have been through a whole heck of a lot more than I ever had gone yeah. through by age 19, but you know, I hadn't, I mean, I was raised in a, you know, middle-class house in the Midwest with pretty much no big problems. And so yeah. I didn't have much of a message as a 19 year old. And so, but that her, her question haunted me for years. Mm. What is my message? What do I want to bring to the world? And it was a really good question for her to ask me, and it kind of hung out in the back of my in the back of my mind. And then after I graduated from college, I did I worked at a telecommunications company where we did phone systems for hospitals, and I was a trainer. So I was using all my communication and public speaking skills, and I was going out into the field and training the doctors and nurses and hospital staff on how to use a new phone system. Um, and then something about that really made me I really liked the teaching aspect of that. And so people, you know, I liked seeing kind of seeing the light bulb come on in people's yeah. heads and. Uh, and so I thought, well, I want to I wanna actually take this teaching idea a step further. So that's when I, I decided to do a master's degree, which I did at Emerson College, which is also in Boston, and they only have degrees in communication. Mm -hmm. And then um, decided I absolutely wanted to stick with it. And so I ended up then at Purdue University in West Lafayette, Indiana, doing my PhD in organizational and management communication. It's one of the best schools for that program in the country. Wild. And Definitely a journey. Yeah, and then after I uh, after I finished that my PhD, 
I was interested in, you know, you were born at that time. You were mm -hmm. born when I was um, just about complete with my coursework and starting into my dissertation. And then my parents had always said Minnesota was the best place to live and raise a family. And I kind of thought, well, how would you know? You've never lived anywhere else. <laughs> but <laughs> at that point, with a baby in tow and a PhD nearly complete, I thought, you know, Minnesota would be a great place to move back to. So um, when I started applying for jobs, I only applied for academic jobs in Minnesota. And I ended up that first round out getting a job at the University of Minnesota. And then and I and taught there, there for a number of years. And there we were. Cool. I think that's, that's really – Oh, yeah. No, I was going to say, I definitely have that same, like, um, probably not to the same extent, but like that same spark of like seeing people have that transformation when you're teaching them. Um, that's something that I really, really got, get a lot out of. Um, and that's, I think, one of the big draws to me towards uh, public speaking is just being able to like get that real connection with people and actually seeing the light bulb go on instead of just like virtually um, creating a podcast or a YouTube channel, having them watch it. Maybe they leave comments, but like not actually being able to see that transformation in them. So I think that's a good, a good thing and a good sort of self-awareness to have. Um, and if you have that, like, might be a good idea for you to, to, to get out there and try out some public speaking. Yeah, yeah, because I mean, you really do see the magic. That's where the, I think, for me, that's where the magic happens. Mm. All right, so after your teaching job, um, I, I have some vague idea that you ended up in corporate America at some kind of place. I think it's called Thomson Reuters, if I'm not mistaken. There might be something in between. Um, but can you sort of fill us in on the next sort of steps? Yeah, so, well, actually, there, there's one piece of the puzzle that oh. you, I don't know that if, you, if you know this story. Probably not. Um, <laughs> so, uh, for my birthday one year, I'm trying to think, I don't remember exactly how old I was, but I was uh, a faculty member, at the, I was a professor at the University of Minnesota at the time, right. and your dad gave me um, a spa package for my birthday. And mm -hmm. so I went for this spa weekend, and I checked in on Friday night, and uh, then the, most of the services and the yoga classes and all the stuff that went along with it didn't start till the next day, but they said, oh, the, you know, the hot tub's open, feel free to get settled in your room and then go you know, take a soak in the hot tub if you want to. And I thought, oh, that sounds like a good idea. I love a good soak in the hot tub. So checked into my room, got all settled, and I went, and as I'm climbing into the hot tub, there's these two other women in the hot tub. And, you know, they said hello, they introduced themselves, and clearly they they were deep in conversation. They knew each other very, very well. Um, but they were, you know, they, it, nice enough to pause their conversation, introduce themselves yeah. to me. And, you know, so they said, so, you know, do you work? What kind of a job do you have? Kind of what's your story? Mm -hmm. And I said, oh, yeah, I, I'm a faculty member at the University of Minnesota. And these two women looked at each other and they burst out laughing. <laughs> I was like, that's not really an appropriate response to, <laughs> to my profession. But then they said, after they stopped laughing, they said, well, we used to do that too. And I said, you're kidding. And they said, no, no, no. Um, they were both epidemiologists. Now, one of them was an epidemiologist who studied human disease, and the other one was uh, an epidemiologist in the vet school who studied animal disease. Hmm. But these two epidemiologists knew each other at the University of Minnesota, and they decided like they'd rather have their own consulting practice than teach college. Hmm. And so just a couple of years prior, they had left their academic roles to start their own business. Wild. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> and then they invited me into their book club. And so for many years, I was in a book club with what? with them and we were all uh, ex-professors except for there were one or two of one or two of us who were still on the still faculty on. but they were mostly they were mostly like med school epidemiologists um folks like that i think i was the only you know humanities communication person in the group that's wild i never i never knew that story so is that sort of where the spark came from to that's, start to that's totally where the spark came because then here i am you know, off on a weekend, basically a weekend retreat by myself. Yeah. I mean, obviously there were other people there, like like these two women. Yeah. But I had like plenty of time between yoga classes and massages and soaking <laughs> in the hot tub to really 
think about the kind of business I wanted to create. Because I was like, if these two epidemiologists can do that, you yeah. know, can create their own business, like for sure the skill set that I have, I can absolutely do this. And so I remember very distinctly there were some nice walking paths. I mean, this was like way out in the country. So I was on these nice walking paths around the property, really thinking about and kind of scoping out what I wanted my business to look like. Mm -hmm. But then the practicality set in, and mm. I was a college professor. College professors don't make very much money, at least yeah. not in the humanities, not in communication. And so I thought, I can't really bankroll a, mm. a, a new business. I don't yeah. have any money to start a business. And so between not having the money to bankroll the business, I mean, we certainly had personal savings, but like I yeah. didn't want to spend down my personal savings. I wanted to be more responsible about yeah. starting, a, starting a new business. And, um, and so I thought, like, how, how should I do this intentionally? And are there any things that I might need that I don't have? Mm -hmm. And as I thought about, you know, before grad school, I had worked in a, you know, I'd worked in small to mid-sized businesses mm -hmm. and never really, really big company. And I thought, you know, some of my, my clients are bound to be some of these really large organizations. And yeah. apart from, apart from the University of Minnesota being inside of an academic institution, institution which is very, very different from corporate. Yeah. Um, I thought, I don't really know what life is like on the inside. So mm. I thought, okay, I'm going to go get a job where I'm paid a lot more than I am as a, as a faculty member and where I can really learn the ins and outs of what's it like to work and kind of be part of a really big company. Wow. And so, yeah, so, you know, Minneapolis-St. Paul is a great opportunity to get uh, experience in one of those big companies because we are, I think, second to only, I think it's Atlanta for having the largest number of um, Fortune 500 companies who's, who are headquartered here. Really? Yeah, there are 30, at last, the last count I remember, there are 34 Fortune 500 companies headquartered in um, Minneapolis and St. Paul and the surrounding suburbs. I never so, knew that. Yeah, yeah. So I thought, well, there's plenty of opportunity for me to get this, you know, get this large corporate experience right here in my own backyard. Yeah. And so I targeted only those really large companies as I was deciding to leave academia and get a job as a, a, in, a, in a corporation. Wow. And so I, I ended it. Yeah. I never knew that that was, that was how the story went because I mean, yeah, I didn't, I didn't realize that you were out there doing field work. I just sort of thought that was like the transition from you from like, okay, I did some teaching. Now I want to go, um, I don't know, work for the man, but I didn't know you were actually <laughs> out there doing field work and like, well, it's, it's, it's funny you say that. I know I'm sure there's also a little bit of revisionist history in, ter in terms of how sure, I tell sure. the story now compared to how it actually happened. But, that's, <laughs> um, but I re it really was um, field work. In fact, when I first started working corporate America, I had um, at a document uh, uh, like a, 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 um, like a manifesto or always. What'd you say? Oh, you just cut out for like oh, a little bit. Oh, oh you said God. you had a document. Yeah. Okay. So I had this document on that was always open, a Word document, just in the background on my on my work laptop, where I kept field notes on what life is like. So I, I envisioned myself a sociologist going from like. <laughs> You know, coming coming from some outer space place, and I've landed in corporate America and taking notes <laughs> on, you know, because I mean, the, the things people complain about at work, yeah. like where you park, you know, <laughs> oh God, it's so it's such a long walk from the parking, you know, from the parking ramp to the office or whatever, and oh, just, just the just the goofy things people would complain about. Yeah. And, uh, and I remember my boss pulling me aside and saying, you know, I'm sure, you know, this is kind of a political place, and you know, if you haven't had much experience with office politics, and I was like. Are you kidding? I came from academia. The politics there are crazy. This is like this is like kindergarten compared to academic <laughs> politics. So, um, but just so some of those contrasts and things I wasn't expecting and just things that were odd to me, I just wrote them all down. Hmm. So I was taking field notes all the time. 
Very interesting. So you sort of got the experience of, again, starting at the small business and small midsize um, and then academia and then like large business. So at that point, you sort of felt like you were ready to just jump off and like get into it? I did. Yeah. In fact, it was my personal goal to spend two years okay. at uh, in a large company. So two okay. years at Thomson Reuters. That was my goal. And I had some very specific objectives that I wanted to meet during that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted to learn how corporate finance worked. Okay. Because as an academic, you learn only about a little bit about how the finance works for your department, but mostly only like if you are applying for a grant to do some research or whatever. I mean, you, you know, you, you know, you find out at the beginning of the year, here's the amount of money that you have for travel. So if you want to go to an academic conference or something like that, here's your professional development budget. Mm-hmm. But then everything else, you have like no access to how finance works hmm. um, in a large, in a an organization like that. And I, I wanted, you know, as somebody who wanted to run my own business, yeah. I really wanted to know like what's a profit and loss, you know, how does a profit and loss statement work? What's a balance sheet? Mm-hmm. Um, what's EBITDA? What are all these, you know, yeah. terms that I might need to know um, if I'm going to run my own business? So one of the very first things I did is I sought out a mentor in finance mm-hmm. when I was there. Right. And, um, and so I mentored with a vice president of finance, and it was great because, I mean, one of the things I always recommend for people about about mentorship is find a mentor who's not in your direct line of reporting because mm. that way you can ask the stupid questions because yep. you would never want to ask your boss the stupid yeah. questions. <laughs> so, I mean, I would just go, we would have coffee once a month for an hour and I would just go to her with all of my questions about finance wow. and she would answer all my questions and it was great. And I learned a ton about how money moves through an organization. Okay. So then did you spend two years there or how did that look? <laughs> so I spent almost five years there. I thought it was and a little bit longer than two. Yeah, almost five. I left just shy of my fifth anniversary. Um, but here's the other thing that really worked in my favor about that job mm-hmm. is that um, I was running what was essentially a usability, uh, a usability agency within the company, So, okay. um, which kind of ties back into somebody might say, well, PhD in communication and you're teaching team building and leadership communication. How does usability fit into all that? <laughs> um, when I was at that uh, telecommunications company, uh, basically it's a software company mm-hmm. and there would be problems with the software. There would be errors in the, in the user interface that yeah. would bug me when I was out training people on how to use that new user interface. And so I'd come back to the, to the office with this laundry list of here's things that need to be fixed in the, in the user interface and you know, the engineering team was mostly interested in making sure that the phone, I mean, there's a phone system underneath this whole mm-hmm. platform too. So the engineering team mostly wanted to make sure the phone system was stable because if the phones go down in a hospital, people's lives are on the line. So they didn't yeah. really care so much about, I said, well, the character, <laughs> the, you know, it's a 25 character field in the database, but it's 20, 30 <laughs> characters on screen. And so it looks like your cursor gets stuck because you can't get to those extra spots on the screen because the database field doesn't match and engineers were like whatever go away just go away and (laughs) finally I got to one point what I remember one day being really frustrated I said like hey look because I I came back after a particularly embarrassing trip to the field where I was out at a particular hospital I remember exactly the place I was and their hospital name was spelled wrong in the user interface Oh, because everything was customized and I couldn't fix it and there wasn't an engineer on site with me who could fix it and so, I mean, this is back in the days of like dialing up over a modem, yeah. a really slow baud rate, if you remember what that is, and, nope. ma- and for them to make the change. But <laughs> if I had known how to do it myself, I could have, I could have done it. So anyway, yeah. I, came, I basically came back to the office. I was hopping mad. I came back to the office with an ultimatum. And I was like, you either fix this stuff I bring back for you, you show me how to fix it, or I'm going to quit and find another job. <laughs> and 
two chief engineers, they kind of looked at each other. They're like, ah, Janelle's pretty bright. Let's let her into the code base. <laughs> and I was like, that is not the answer I no. thought I was going to get. But so then they taught me some basics of how to go into the code base and clean up the user interface to mm. match the, uh, like how to query the database to find out like how, what the properties of a particular field were in the database so that I could go into the user interface layer and change, you know, make the changes and kind of clean up the user interface. So I was basically doing usability testing on, on our clients with live software <laughs> and then uh, making the changes myself to make the user interface work better. So wow. when I was in grad school then, I took a couple of classes on that because in addition to my major area of study, you had to take like what's essentially a minor, even mm -hmm. as a PhD, it takes a, a certain number of credits that kind of hang together um, mm -hmm. in an outside area. So I took some classes in the business school and then I took some classes in industrial psychology on um, essentially human factors and usability. Hmm. And then when I was at the University of Minnesota, the degree program that was offered in our department was technical communication, and one of the classes that was taught there was usability. Now, that wasn't a class I usually taught, but it was a class I knew enough about from my uh, PhD work and my earlier work experience yeah. to be able to cover it. So I covered that class, like if somebody, the person who taught it once went on maternity leave, once took a sabbatical. So when she would go, you know, when she wasn't there, then I would cover that, I would I'd teach that class for a semester. Hmm. Um, and that's actually what positioned me for that job at, at Thomson Reuters. Okay. When I was first leaving academia, I was applying for jobs that were more in the communication field, in human resources, in um, you know organizational design, that sort of thing, which is much closer to what my academic experience was. Sure. Um, but I think my resume was just landing on people's desks, and they're like, "A professor? What do we do with that?" <laughs> <laughs> so when I was playing that skill set in my resume, I just really wasn't getting any hits. I wasn't mm. getting any interviews. And I remember like just about pulling my hair out one day going like, what else, well, what else do I have? What else can I do? <laughs> and this was like 2005, 2006 when, um, I mean, now usability is something people talk about all the time. Yeah. At that time it was really just a budding field mm. um, as I mean, human factors and usability has always been really important in aviation and in medicine and things like, again, where people's lives are on the line. But as it relates to sort of modern day, this, the modern day software industry, it was just in the mid 2000s when uh, they were starting to apply human factors and usability testing uh, tools and, and mechanisms to software. Wow. And so I had the perfect skill set to step into one of those roles. So I ended up as a director of user experience at Thomson Reuters, and um, I essentially managed a, uh, like, an, I got to be very entrepreneurial because mm -hmm. I ran an internal agency. So we did usability testing for products all across the, all across the company. And I would basically go do a lunch and learn. Um, I was like an evangelist for user experience. And we had like no clients when I came in. Um, and I was basically said, here, you're basically running this, this group. Um, you're going to need to find some projects to do. And, okay. uh, <laughs> and so I would go have lunch with people and be an evangelist for user experience and usability work. And then, uh, and then I'd find out what they were working on. And when they had new products launching, I'd like make a pitch and I'd write a proposal and they'd have to look at the proposal and, you know, see if they had the budget for it. And if they did, then they'd hire my team. And then the money would transfer internally in the organization. I mean, it didn't affect my salary or my team salary or anything like yeah. that. But, the, you know, the money would transfer from one, or one part of the organization to the other to pay for the work that we did. Mm. Um, but I had to, like, really pound the pavement and find yeah. my own clients. And 
Um, and I have to say, it was, uh, looking back on it now, it's like a luxury to be able to build those entrepreneurial skills inside of a situation where you know your salary is going to be paid, yeah. you know you have health insur insurance <laughs> benefits, and you know, and all of that. I mean, it, I don't think I had a month where we didn't have enough income from the clients that we had to cover our team's expenses. But if we did have a month or two or six, I probably would not have been fired. Wow. <laughs> probably, you know, and I would have gotten paid the same amount. So yeah. it was it was a real luxury to be able to build, you know, build my chops mm. in that kind of a in that kind of a setting. Yeah, I've been thinking a lot about safety nets lately and just like how many, especially for young people, just the safety nets that we have that we can fall back on. So I've been talking a lot about those lately. So I think it's really cool you brought those up. And like the fact that you were basically an entrepreneur, but also had all those safety nets is like a really, like you had that, you had that salary, you had those health benefits. Like that's a really, that's a really interesting position to be in. Um, and again, like all of this stuff is like fresh information to me. I know yeah. very little about your hair. Well, right. We haven't, we haven't had this conversation. No, no. And we yeah. should, we should have more conversations like this. Um, <laughs> well, one of the other things too, is that as I was leaving academia, yeah. uh, a senior, a senior faculty member who's kind of a mentor to me, he was, you know, he, he kept touting the benefits of being a faculty member and, you know, getting tenure and the, I mean, and, and <laughs> academic life has a lot of perks and benefits and it's a great, it's a great life for those whom it's, it's right for. Yeah. Um, but he said, okay, so yeah, one of the reasons you're leaving is to make more money. He's like, I got that. Now his advice was to take a certain percentage of my income mm -hmm. and sock it away for something that was just for me. Like he said, take that mm -hmm. money from your corp from your new corporate job and mm -hmm. set up a separate bank account and have like an automatic transfer from your salary directly to that bank account. Don't use that money. Like if your house needs a new roof, if you need a new car, don't use that money for those kind of practical things. Mm -hmm. Save that money for something that's just for you. And I did that. And so over the course of the almost five years that I worked there, mm -hmm. I built up a really nice, I mean, it, it, what came to mind is when you said safety net. Yeah. Because when I was ready to take the leap from corporate to starting my own company, mm. I had that money there. And that's actually what I used that money to pay myself those oh. first few months of my, of my business when I didn't have income coming in or at least sufficient income to pay myself. Wow. All right. All right. That's very interesting. I think that's a really, that's a, I never really heard of anything like that before because a lot of people talk about building up their obviously emergency fund. Um, but having like something that's like just for you and not for emergencies, that's an, that's a really interesting concept. Yeah. So I would say like, if you're a college student, you're about to graduate college soon and you're thinking about like, well, what I really want to be is an entrepreneur, but my parents are giving me the pressure. Like I need to get a real job. Mm -hmm. I would say, go get that real job. Set some parameters around it. Like to say, I'm going to do this for two years. And in those mm -hmm. two years, I'm going to take 25% of everything I earn in this corporate job. I'm going to stick yep. it in, the, in my, my safety net account so that two years from now, I can feel confident to take that leap and know that I can actually pay myself yep. at least for the first six months because I socked a bunch, socked a bunch of money away. Exactly. It's all about building up that runway and just having that freedom to, to make those, those choices and, and take those chances. Um, and I think something that is really valuable as well is to just lost my train of thought. What were we talking about? Uh, on ramps, off ramps, uh, safety net. Frick totally lost it. Um, what time is it? All right. We should probably, so I think we should, have another episode where we talk about what you're doing right now because oh, yeah, yeah. we've got like five minutes left um yeah. before i get kicked out of here um All right. so i'm thinking we can just dive into the questions that i finished the show with um and then we can just call it a day perfect All right. um 
let me just try to think of what I was saying so that I can close that thought. Um, what was the last thing you said? <laughs> uh, well, we were talking about having that money. It, well, I said uh, oh, yeah. for college students to work for a couple years, put 25% of everything you earn into a separate account so you can confidently okay, take that risk that. and take that leap. Yeah, and, and what I was... Yeah, and, and bouncing off of that, um, it, it just seems a lot of people that I see who graduate, they right away, they, once they get that real job, they just end up pouring all of their income into expenses right away to try to live that like elevated life that they think they're supposed to live after school. So I think being able to diligently set aside income purposefully for some kind of some kind of project that you want to work on is a really good way to go about things because it, it also prevents you from living that lifestyle inflation of just dumping all of your income into expenses right away, not having anything left over for yourself. So I think that's a really good strategy to, to use. Um, and, and since we are running a bit short on time, what we're going to do is we are going to come back with a second episode, probably in season two. Um, and we're going to finish off this episode with the questions that I like to ask all of my guests. So mom, without further ado, we're just going to hop into those. The first of which is, is what motivates you? So obviously you were, you were working very diligently towards that goal of starting your own business. So what was keeping you going during those times and, and really helping you um, see the bigger picture? Well, I think what motivated me during that and really anything else I'm doing is like, mm -hmm. I have to have a big juicy goal hanging out there. I have mm -hmm. to have something really big that I'm always running at. And if I don't, then I can just whittle each day away, just like plowing through email and not getting very much of anything substantial done. So when I, I just kind of keeping my eyes on the prize and having a really big juicy goal out there, because if it's not big enough, then I don't care enough and I don't get excited about it. Hmm. I like it. I like it. I like having that. Yeah. Big juicy goal. I think that's a good phrase. Um, next one is what habits have served you most throughout your time? Um, really just developing, um, yourself, your skills, your education, um, and just your, your history. Um, well, I would say two things. One is, and I don't know if this is necessarily a habit, but just curiosity, being curious mm. about things and wanting to know more and, and not letting, not knowing how to do something, get in my way and just getting yeah. curious and getting under it and figuring it out. The other, I would say, this is a habit that I created intentionally is getting up early. And I know a lot of entrepreneurs get up early. Yep. Um, mine was driven by a particular uh, pragmatic need. When mm -hmm. your sister was just about to start kindergarten, she didn't have daycare for the full week before kindergarten. And she had, and kindergarten didn't start till a Wednesday. So there were seven work days where uh, she did, where there was no daycare available. And uh, my husband at the time had just started a new job. He couldn't take the time off. And I think your grandma had just had knee surgery or something. She couldn't really help with kids. And so I really needed to be full on mom for yeah. seven work days, seven business days in a row. But this was at a time when my business was really taking off. I had proposals to write. <laughs> I didn't have to be on site delivering a program for anybody because I knew I'd block those days off yeah. my calendar. But I had to write proposals. I had to sign contracts. I had to do all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So I thought the only way I can do this is if I get up at 5 a.m. and if I work from 5 a.m. until 7 a.m. And that's what I did for those seven business days is I work from 5 a.m. to 7 a.m., which is a great time to actually work because nobody's going to return your calls at that time. Nobody's mm. going to return your emails at that time. So you can do two solid hours of work. You can almost get a whole day's worth days worth of work done um, in two hours wow. because there aren't any other distractions. Um, so then once those, once those uh, seven work days were done and now mm. it was like, you know, I was kind of back to regular life. My biological clock was just still waking me up at five. Mm. And I realized our house is really quiet at 5 a.m. with three <laughs> kids and a husband and just like all the chaos of what's happening yep. in our house on any given day. I thought I could use those out. I could use those two hours for me time. And mm. then I started using those time that, that time for, you know, doing some yoga, doing some exercise, uh, re you know, inspirational reading, whatever I wanted to. 
So that habit of getting up early has served me in multiple ways. Solid. Awesome. I, I, I totally, totally respect that getting up early and I'm totally all about that myself. <laughs> probably not the extreme of five. Um, the earliest I get up is probably around 530. Some days we push for five, but usually it's 530 or six because that's just, I don't know, it's pretty early for me. Well, um, wait till you're a busy parent and you have like your house is as chaotic as ours is. You'll say, okay, that's, the, that's a quiet time. That's I would imagine I so. My time for myself. Yeah. I mean, for my apartment personally, um, yeah, it's pretty quiet until like nine or 10. So I yeah. can, I can enjoy those early hours. Um, all right. And then, um, what are, what are a couple books that have served you particularly well, um, in, in developing yourself? I, uh, so one book that I read a number of years ago, many years ago, probably, and I come back to frequently is the power of intention by Wayne Dyer. Mm -hmm. And I think I've probably got a paper copy of it somewhere. I know I have it on audio on audio. So it's just like one of those things that even if I just need something to kind of pump me up and listen to for a few minutes, Power of Intention by Wade Dyer. And then more recently, like in the last couple of years, a book that I really like is um, The One Thing by Gary mm, Keller. Yep. That's a good one. Yeah. And that's a question I ask myself regularly. And I ask people that, you know, my clients, what was, you know, what's the one thing that if we fix this, it would make everything else either go away or relatively inconsequential. And that's, I think it's such a powerful question to guide your life by, or at least guide your decision-making about what am I going to do today? Bye. Completely, completely agree. I got a lot out of that book. Um, so I would definitely highly recommend, I'll link both those books up in the uh, show notes for this episode as well, if you guys want to check those out. But uh, one thing can definitely vouch for that, um, but I'll have to add the power of intention to my reading list. Um, and then the last thing is where can people go to find out more about you and uh, what you're working on right now? Yeah. Okay. So my company is called Working Conversations mm -hmm. and you can find me at workingconversations.com. You can find me on social media at, uh, on, uh, Twitter. I don't tweet, I don't tweet that much, but I'm at Janelle Anderson on Twitter and on Instagram. You'll find awesome daily inspirational posts for me on Instagram and, uh, I'm Janelle.Anderson.phd there. So you can find me there and, uh, yeah, I'd love to bump into people in the internet. Cool. I'll, I'll be sure to link those up in the show notes as well. Well, thank you very much again for your time um, and for being willing to sit down. I look forward to uh, chatting with you again in season two. Yeah, I'm looking forward to round two. This has been fun. <laughs> All right, mom. Thanks again for sharing your knowledge and experience with our listeners today. I really, really enjoyed this interview. I learned a ton actually about, about your employment history that I really had no idea about. So I'm excited to have you back on for uh, episode number two back over in season two. Um, but for our listeners, did you guys catch some of those Easter eggs that were hidden in there? There were a few. Um, so uh, go back and listen if you, if you missed them. But if you, got, if you caught them, um, definitely shoot me a DM at Apple Credit Official. Let me know that you caught them. Um, and I'd be really interested to see who actually picked up on those. So if you guys enjoyed this episode again do definitely leave us a review on itunes those are very very helpful as we close in on the end of 2018 i'm trying to finish the year with at least 50 reviews i've got a competition going with a buddy of mine to see which of us can get there faster so if we could get those 50 reviews that would be amazing definitely let me know what you think via a review also shoot me a dm on instagram and let me know what you think of the podcast as well uh, that's pretty much all i got guys so have a wonderful rest of your tuesday i will see you on friday